You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. You can relate or you think back to times when you were in school and this issue came up. And the question that is on your bulletin is, can I be a Christian and believe in evolution? The question is actually much deeper than that. Do I have to choose between faith and science? Does science, in fact, as some of my professors and teachers in college have told me, does science disprove faith? These are questions that many of our young people in, in school are encountering, especially when evolutionary theory is taught and held up to be incompatible with the biblical record of creation. And so young people are confronted with the false separation between faith and science and they feel that they need to choose between one or the other. That's kind of the problem. Um, This is important today because as I told you earlier, young people are leaving the church in droves in America. And one of the reasons that research tells us they're leaving is because they believe that the church is anti-science anti-science, like against science. So this morning, I'd like to address some of these deeper questions. I'm not going to try to prove evolutionary theory or even prove certain views of creation over evolution. That's not the point of this message today. Really, the point of today is to, to, to come to a place where you can say, look, it's possible to have a deep, thoughtful, growing relationship with Christ, and at the same time, respect and value the discoveries and the breakthroughs and even some of the theories that the scientific community puts out. Like there is a way to integrate faith and science and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. But people nowadays, it seems like, feel like they do have to choose. And I'll explain some of that dynamic in a little bit so you have some understanding. So put your thinking caps on, tell the person that you put your thinking cap on. And I'm going to try to argue today a little bit from the side of faith because we've heard a lot from the side of science in terms of the attempt to disprove God. And by the way, it didn't start out that way. There's this thing nowadays that they're calling the neo-atheist movement. And neo-atheists are taking evolutionary theory in general. This is how I understand it. So I'm open to be corrected later on. So don't think I'm saying all this in in a vacuum. Um, My understanding of it is that neo-atheism is taking evolutionary theory, biological evolutionary theory, and using it sort of as a bludgeon, as a club, to try to beat down any arguments for the existence of God. Okay, so evolutionary theory has become sort of synonymous with atheism, right? But there are Christian scientists that believe in evolutionary theory, but they're, they're just certain parts of it they reject, like the origin of life, the age of the earth, and all that. But, but I want to take you through a couple of statements, or a few statements today, that'll help sort of frame this idea, and hopefully we can come out on the end focused on Jesus, yes? <laughs> so the first statement I want to make here is that science is not the only way to know about something. How many of you remember growing up in school and being taught this method, the scientific method, right? Remember this? Question, hypothesis, experiment, data, analyze it, and then, you know come up with your, you know, findings and test your results and all that stuff. And this idea of the scientific method, it's, it's, a, it's, it's valid. It's a good thing to, to learn about, obviously. But here's the problem is that some people claim 
that the scientific method is the, actually the only reliable way to know about something. So, in other words, there is really no spiritual or moral or personal knowledge. And they call this view um, scientism. It's sort of, we've made science into the only way to know anything. And there's a guy by the name of John Pollinghorn, Cambridge phys physicist and Anglican priest. He's a priest and a physicist. That's pretty cool. And he uses this illustration. He says, imagine asking somebody, where or why is the water boiling in that kettle? And one person will answer the question and say, well, the water is boiling because the burning gas is heating the water. Right? And then another person would answer the same question and say, well, the water is boiling in the kettle because I want a cup of tea. Right? So they're, who's right? They're both right. But one of them is a more scientific answer, right, focused on, uh, you know, kind of the mechanical, impersonal causes of the water in the kettle. But the other one is more of an answer that is relational. It's, it, it deals with a person. It deals with an intention. It deals with a purpose. It's not a scientific answer, but it's a valid answer. So scientific, science and its methods, of course, are about investigating reality in a certain way, but it's not the only way of knowing what is true. There's also this thing called morality, spirituality, right, faith. For example, we all believe that human life is of great value, but it's difficult to put that concept in a test tube, isn't it? So we all know it's bad to be a selfish, greedy person. That's truth, but it's not truth that we got to using the scientific method. So let me give you kind of an important distinction here. Science asks the questions, how, what, where, and when? How, what, where, and when? In general, all right? These are sort of scientific questions. When you move out of the realm of science and you ask the questions of faith, faith and philosophy address the questions of why and who. Um, for example, evolution will ask the questions of what, how, and when. What adaptations did this species develop in order to survive? How did the process of natural selection play out with this species, right? When did this actually happen? Those are good scientific questions. But in our human experience, especially when we're hurting, we are not asking questions of how, what, where, and when. What are the questions we ask when we're hurting? Why did this happen to me? Right? Um, why did God allow this? Why did you do that or not do that? You see? Even as kids, right, we don't ask the questions of how, what, where, and when. Wouldn't it be great if, if your kids did that, all you parents? Like, you know, if they asked you, how can I learn if I'm having a bowel movement? <laughs> when should I go to sleep so that I can maximize my growth? Right? Where's the vacuum so I can clean the house? <laughs> How can I be a contributing member to this family? It would be awesome if they asked those questions, those good scientific questions, right? But what do they do? Right? Even when they were very young, they're asking questions like, why? Why, why, why? Why do I have to go to bed? Why do I have to wake up at this time? 
why are you doing this to me? Why do I have to listen to you? Right? And they get into their 16 and 17 adolescence. Right? <laughs> and it's like hardwired into us, you know? Like the two-year-old in the car is not asking, you know, how does, how does this car run, Dad? I'm so fascinated. They're not asking that, right? <laughs> like, why, 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 why? And as parents, we get frustrated in our frustration. We go, it's because, just do it because I told you so. I told you so. And, and sometimes that's how we view God, you know. The question of why is not a good evolutionary question. In fact, we should have probably evolved out of asking that question. But it turns out that the why is hardwired into us as human beings because it drives everything about what it means to be human. And so it turns out science, in fact, is not the only way to get to the truth about how the universe works. That quest for truth isn't just for the scientist, right? It's for all of us who are willing to pursue it. And I've come to learn, oh, sorry, um, where, where'd it go? I had it down here. Where is it? I thought I put it up here. Um, there's, I come to learn that all truth, say all truth, is God's truth. And scientific inquiry can lead us to wonder and awe before God. And wonder and awe is not far from worship. See? Scientism says worship science because it's the only way to know about something. And we affirm no because we all know there's value in human life and there's other ways to coming to knowledge than just science. All right? So we come to realize that science really cannot prove that the universe has no meaning or purpose because every one of us is asking questions about meaning and purpose. But listen, this is, this is the world we live in. Come on, let's be real about this. You turn on your... By the way, how have you all been doing on the, the phone thing? You've been good? You've been practicing the off button? You know, I got my alarm clock this week. So those, those of you who weren't here last week, I told, decided I'm not going to put my phone by my bedside as my alarm clock. I'm going to use an old school alarm clock. And it seems to be working just fine, except I don't know how to turn it off. <laughs> Technology and science. That can help me get up in the morning, but it can't help answer the questions that I'm asking. But here's the thing. The, neo, uh, the, the, uh, the movement of late of neo-atheism um, has basically made the argument that the, the universe is a random machine that's basically a, a, a bunch of math, mathematics of cause and effect. Okay? And I want you to see this. This is, this is rampant in our day. This is what one um, scientist says. He says, Dr. William Provine, he says, let me summarize my view on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. Okay, this is... The conclusion he comes to after studying evolutionary biology, all right? He says, the conclusion is this. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I am going to be dead. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning to life, and no free will to humans either. It's a perfect summary for how... Neo-atheism has taken evolutionary theory and used it to say God actually doesn't exist. And by the way, there's no free will or purpose to life as well. Right? 
I'm just letting you know. This is, what you're, this is what we're exposed to in our world, right? Let's not live it. We're not in a bubble here. That's why we can talk about this stuff, right? Tell the person next to you, talk about it. Talk about it. It's okay. Talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So here's the irony with this statement, that there's really nothing in the actual scientific studies of evolutionary biology that explores matters like this. Life after death, purpose in life, ultimate meaning. It's not in the scientific journals, folks. And yet, there's this idea circulating out there on the World Wide Web and other places that somehow evolutionary biology disproves God and invalidates faith. And it's just not true. Um, so let, let me show you kind of how one argument goes. So, some of you know, know, who, know who Carl Sagan is, right? He was the guy who worked on that project, the Voyager 1 and 2 projects, I think. Um, and he said this, he says, we live on an insignificant planet of a humdrum star, that's, that's us, Earth, lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of the universe in which we, there are more galaxies than people. Now, this is what happened. They, they looked at the vastness of the universe and how large this is, and they looked at the relative size of the planet on which we live in comparison and they said, wow, the universe is massive. And wow, the earth is so small. And by the way, the people on earth are so small. Therefore, they made the conclusion that therefore, since we're so small and infinitesimally tiny compared to the universe, that we must be of no value or worth as a human race. That's the argument that's out there. When it's interesting the scripture addresses the same exact thing. The Bible in the Psalms here acknowledged that, yes, the heavens are incredibly large and amazing and a work of God's hands. When I consider your heavens, God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, they looked at the relative size of the universe and said, the universe is massive and we are small. What, is, what are human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Oh, so they didn't do what, what science did here. They said the universe is big. Human beings are small. But God has valued us. And he's given us stewardship, dominion honor and glory you are worth something and science i think in some ways has come to that, the wrong conclusion about the value of human life all right so uh let me make another statement about this oh there it is that's what i was trying to tell you earlier okay forget that i already told it to you did you know that modern science actually emerged from a people of faith because the question is, and the argument is, science, you got to choose. Faith, you can't, they're not compatible. Choose one or the other. Now, no doubt, there has been historical tension between science and the people of God. Any of you remember Galileo? <laughs> Those of you who studied him in school, you would have heard his name. It wasn't too long ago when we thought that the sun and the planets revolved around the earth. Right? And Galileo was a scientist 
who studied and observed and had just made, it was amazing, his genius work. And he began to eventually teach the opposite, that no, the, the sun, uh, the uh, earth and the planets actually revolve around the sun. And he got persecuted by the Catholic Church for that. He was condemned as a heretic. It was crazy. So, but listen, I want to show you a verse that they ba- the, the church and the people of God based their understanding of the universe on wrongly. Because this is a classic case of when the people of faith think they are being true to the Bible when they're actually embracing a wrong interpretation of the Bible. The Bible is not a, a science book. It's, it's a book of many different types of genres. And so the questions that the Bible was answering for the people that read the Bible in the ancient world, the people whom the Bible was originally written for, were not answering questions that science is asking today. Right? So just keep that in mind because I want you to see this. So see this verse? Say among the nations the Lord reigns. The world, the earth, is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Absolutely. So they took the interpretation to be the earth does not move. Everything moves around the earth. It's a wrong interpretation of that passage. This is not a scientific study here. This is poetry. And so sometimes, uh, you know, we have to be careful how we interpret Scripture. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> That's a whole other message. But for the most part, the Bible was written long before the birth of modern scientific inquiry, and so the Scriptures are not trying to answer the questions that much of modern science raises. The notion that science and faith are at war with each other, however, is a myth. Watch this. The historical truth is that science emerged from people of faith. There was one scientist that did a study to track this, and he found that in 17th century Europe, around the birth, uh, kind of around the emergence of modern science, um, he found that 52 leading scientists, out of the 52 leading scientists in 17th century Europe, 62% were devout believers. 34% were convincingly religious, and only two out of the 52 leading scientists were skeptics. So in the 17th century, the era where modern science arguably was born, science and faith were not enemies. Uh, One of the philosophers named uh, Paul Chamberlain writes this. He says, the scientific enterprise as we know it would probably not exist if it had not been for Christianity. Hmm. Interesting. Just know, there is this thought out there that belief in God started out of the inability to understand things scientifically. They call that the God of the gaps, right? So the argument goes like this. People didn't know what caused thunder, so they made up the God Thor. Uh, People didn't know what governed the moon, so they made up the goddess Diana. Oh, and then the, the, the Maori people in New Zealand didn't know what caused earthquakes, so they made up a god named uh, Ruomoko. And whether Ruomoko walked around, it created an earthquake. So, you see, the argument on the other side is that whenever a gap has been created by the lack of scientific knowledge, you just fill it in with God. Or the gods, as an explanation. Oh, okay, so then when the actual science 
tells us the real reason all this happens, then you can do away with God as a reason. See, that's sort of what they call gap theory. And so you get back to that place where it's almost like you have to choose between science and God. But watch, faith in God is not based on gaps that science has not yet filled in. Faith in God, according to John Ortberg, is based on the examination of meaning, order, and value that underlie the emergence of science itself. In other words, science arose out of the assumptions that the world is an orderly place and that it would reward rational thinking. And guess where that, those assumptions are based in? They're based in the, the deeply held belief in an all-powerful, rational, and good God. One more. Melvin Calvin, biochemistry Nobel Prize winner, says this monotheistic view, this view in one God who rules the universe, seems to be the historical foundation for modern science. Friends, faith and science have not always been at war. Just remember that. I'm concerned about this because many of us uh, young people, many of you young people are going to go off to college sometime, or maybe you're there already, and you're going to sit in class, and you're going to hear arguments like what you heard at the beginning. And listen, you're going to feel, we don't want you as a church to go out there feeling like, no one ever told me this. No one ever told me that I didn't have to choose between faith and science, like there's a way to integrate this stuff. Because everyone else is probably going to tell you that out there. You don't have to choose between the Bible and truth. All right. Let me move forward. Is this okay? All right. We're almost done. Um, here's what I say. Let science address the questions that science addresses best. Let scriptures address this, the questions that scripture addresses best. And your faith in God doesn't have to be shaken by scientific discoveries of people especially that are using those discoveries to try to disprove God's existence. I'm going to give you a little argument for this in a second. When you engage in scientific inquiry, you are actually thinking God's thoughts after him. You're opening up don't misunderstand when I say this, okay? When you're engaging in scientific inquiry, you're opening up the big book of creation. We have the little book, the Bible, the more specific revelation of God to us, to humanity. But when you engage in scientific inquiry, you're opening up the big book of creation. Watch. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. where'd it go? Ah, I didn't put this scripture. Listen to this scripture. In Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. How? How have God's power and nature clearly been seen? Being understood from what has been made. Creation. They call it natural revelation. When creation speaks... The language of God. God's language, native language, creation. And it says even here, it's so clear that creation reflects and tells us about who God is that people are without excuse. So here's what it comes down to. Faith and science are actually not at war with each other. There are aspects of it that are. But we need to sort through all this. So I'm going to leave you with this argument, all right? Let me end with this. 
If we say that there is no God, which is what the new atheism and atheism in general will say, scientism, all that. And by the way, if you are today, we don't want you to feel out of place. Like this is a place where we're, we want to create a conversation here. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. It's okay. Like we're all learning and growing and stuff. But I just want to reason with you a little bit here, okay? If we say there is no God, then that means the universe is determined, the result of cause and effect. It's mathematical. There's no free will. There's no purpose. On the other hand, if we say there is a God, then the universe is relational. There's intentional design behind it. There's creativity. There's free will. And watch, there is purpose. There's purpose. So if, in fact, God created the universe, there's purpose behind reality. If God did not create the universe, then what you're left with is randomness. Now watch, why in the world are we not at home with randomness? Why is there something on the inside of our soul that resists randomness? Like when we feel life is random, something in our soul slips into chaos. When random things happen in your life that cause you pain, you want to know why. You want meaning and purpose. You look at all the natural disasters that happen in our world, you go, that's so random, but something in us is going, what? There's, we, we don't chalk it up to, oh, that was, just a, that was just a bunch of math happening in the universe. That tsunami that killed all those people. You know, we don't say that. There's something in the, on the inside that says, wow, you know what? There, there's something going on, there's something wrong with reality here. We don't say, oh, that was just the survival of the fittest. We don't. We, we, we feel that something is not right. Why should we even care if the universe is just random? Why should we care if it's just already determined and a result of mathematics? Deep inside, we know something is broken. Because we know, deep inside, the universe is actually relational because it reflects the God who alone lives in unbroken, intimate, and loving relationship within himself, the three-in-one. And he made the universe and he made humanity in his image. And because of that relational nature within himself, your actions, my actions, have an impact on creation. And so, you know, if in ever you've ever wondered why, what is the purpose and the meaning of all these natural disasters happening in our world and earthquakes and random places and all of that, I think the chaos that we see in creation reflects the chaos that happens in our own souls because of the brokenness of our relationship with God. That's a Elaborate way of saying sin caused it all, right? <laughs> Think deeply about it. If the universe is relational, then sin is not just a, a matter of breaking laws. If the universe is relational, sin really is the breaking of a relationship. Which is why God's solution to sin was not just to give us another law. His solution to sin was to himself come 
and reconcile the relationship. All right. So let me end with this. If there is no God, then the universe is material and the driving force of the universe is math. If there is no God. If there is a God, then the universe is relational and the driving force of the universe is love. And I don't know about you, you can decide which one makes more sense to you. But when I look at the world, I don't see people going around searching their whole life to find math. But I do see people who will give their whole lives and, and, and search their whole lives to find love. And while science and faith need not be enemies, science does represent one of the many ways that we as human beings are searching for truth and searching for answers and searching for God at the heart of everything. But the Christian faith tells us that at the heart of the universe and all of reality, there is this God who loves us, who has suffered with us, and watch this, who is searching for us amid the brokenness of our sin, shame, darkness, and fear. And he wants to reconcile us to himself through Jesus. This verse right here is one that I've always, has always captured me because when John, the writer here, speaks of his vision of Jesus, he says, one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that's Jesus, okay, has triumph. That's, there's a lot in that, but just work with me here. It says, he's able to open the scroll and seven seals, and he's talking about how in the world are we going to break the cycles, these repeating cycles of human history? When is history, human history, is it all going somewhere? Don't you feel like sometimes it's just this one big cycle? You turn on the news and all you hear is negativity. We were talking about that the other day with a friend. Like, all I hear then them saying is negative things, and it's just like, where's the positive? Where's the, I've heard this before. Where is this all going? Generations past, I've heard it before. Is history just one big repeating cycle? Revelation and the scriptures say, no, it's going someplace. God's going to begin bring some finality and some purpose to it. So when he says Jesus is able to open the scroll and the seven seals, he's talking about Jesus is able to bring purpose and meaning to all of human history and an end to it. Watch. Then he says, then I saw a lamb. So he said, don't weep, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he expected to see a lion. But when he actually looked, he saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And if the throne of God is at the center of all reality, which is what we can proclaim, then at the very center of that throne is a picture of suffering love that defines it all. So you can make a religion out of science and worship it. You can try to use science to rule God out and invalidate faith. That's nothing new. All religions are actually, they're, they're saying the same thing. Here is a solution for how you can get to God. This is why I don't believe Christianity in that sense is a religion. 
It's not another way to get to God. Christianity says God took the initiative to try to get to us, to try to reach us. I'm closing with this verse. Promise, 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 promise. The Son, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. It means he's supremacy over all creation. For in him all things were created. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I haven't heard this one before. I thought God created the heavens. Yeah, 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 he did. But watch. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Oh, so God didn't really make all of this for me? It's not all about me? <laughs> Remember I used to tell you? Sin has a way of minimizing God and making it all about us? He says here, no, we've got the most full revelation, complete revelation of what God is actually doing in Christ. It's all for him. It's all in him. It's all through him. He is before all things. Oh, check it out, folks. Anybody here been through experience where your life has been falling apart? I got good news for you. In him, all things hold together. Then he goes, he's the head of the body, the church. The, sorry, I missed that. The be he, oh, sorry, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then everything he might have supremacy. Why? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is Jesus. And through him, there it is. The universe is relational. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. So you don't need to really choose between faith and science, folks. You do need to choose Christ. You do need to put your faith in him and direct all scientific inquiry and pursuits toward the direction of his supremacy and his glory. I said this earlier, but to all the scientists and scientific people in the house, mathematicians, doctors, techno-specialists that love and follow Jesus, we love you. We're glad you're a part of this community of faith. And we want you to feel like you belong here. And we need you. I want to encourage all of you, scientific folk. Keep on thinking God's thoughts after him. Keep on exploring and discovering and pursuing knowledge that will not only lead you someday to make this world a better place, but will also lead you to worship Christ. To all you young people today, don't let your teachers or your friends put you in a box that says you've got to choose one or the other. The most important choice is the choice for Christ. And within that choice, you can integrate science with faith. Amen? Amen. Was that so bad? <laughs> okay. Now you can go home and say, man, we talked about science and faith today. And I don't even know what we were talking about. But I just remember Jesus. And that's all you got to remember. <laughs> Stand to your feet with me. And I want to pray for you. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.